Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Welcome to a classic big interview. This season, we're going all the way back to 2019-2020, and we've picked out one of our absolute favourites. This is what I had to say about it back then. Hi, lovely listeners. The big interview was fortunate enough to be in the grand leather-clad dungeons of the Hotel Duvan in Harrogate. Listen on to try and understand the life of a lonely goalkeeper. Paul Robinson is funny, articulate. He's part of a family that is extremely sports talented and he shared his time with The Big Interview because he's loved listening to our work and you're going to enjoy hearing this characterful, forthright, very intelligent new friend of The Big Interview telling you about his life, starting with the maddest man in football, John Budgie Burridge, and how he saw Tony Yaboa's Thunderblaster for Leeds going into the net at Ellen Road. Here comes Paul. Paul, welcome to the big interview. It's, we've just been talking off camera about our socio Tom Lee who persuaded <laughs> both of us to meet. So I want to say right now thanks, Tom. Fantastic. Nice to meet you. Um, and you, thank you for having me. surroundings that you know very well. We're, we're down in the snog, aren't we? <laughs> the Hotel de Van in Harrogate, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's a, a regular meeting place for me and the rest of my family. I'll tell we you what. use it quite often. When I moved Christmas. to Harrogate, I think I might be jockeying with you for the Christmas Day booking. <laughs> it's sensational. What was life like as a young goalkeeper? What was the differences then thinking, well, I've got talent, people like me, I'm going to be a goalkeeper. You know, from then to now, what were the things that were going on then that are unrecognisable now? I just used to love playing football. I used to, I used to be a decent outfield player as well. Um, I used to play in goal for the sixth form at school when I went to secondary school. In my first year at secondary school, as a year seven, I'd play in goal for the sixth form and I'd play outfield to my own age. And I always used to say, I used to laugh, there was only one thing that stopped me from being a centre-forward and it was about two and a half stone at the time. <laughs> <laughs> what, you had to put on? To yeah, yeah, yeah. I, we'll think that's, I think we all know that's what... <laughs> but no, it got to the point of where it was a, a stick to what you're good at um, and goalkeeping was always something that I enjoyed. But as you say, it's changed so much un, unrecognisably over the years. Or as, as the game has as well. 
Um, it was a job of catching crosses, saving shots, and then kicking the ball down the pitch as far as you as can. As far as you possibly yeah. can. And jumping forward a little bit. When I went to Leeds as an apprentice um, at 16, I was third of three when I left school to go as an apprentice. Um, and an opportunity came with John Burridge, who was my goalie coach at the time. Well, <laughs> how long have you got? There's a bundle of stories on I worked with Budgie. But anyway, Budgie took me on loan. He said, you're soft as shit, you need toughening up. He took me to Durham City on loan in the Northern League. I had to go and live with Budgie and his missus for three months. And he toughened me up by taking me to Durham City. And they loved me because I could kick it the length of the pitch. How many set-ups did he make you do per oh, day? I, mate, I'll tell you a story about when we went to... We used to go to Newcastle's training ground and he used to train at university. And I think at the time he was banned from the training ground. So he'd have me up at five or half five in the morning, running through Durham City, set a bag of balls on his back, jumping over the fence in the corner, running over the canal at the back, training on one of the back pitches before anyone else would get in and see him, and then going back to his house. Let's tell people who this is. This is John <laughs> Budgie Burridge. Yeah. Um, he was part of that team. He was part of Crystal Palace. He's played for just about every club in oh, Britain, including my own beloved Aberdeen. goalkeeper at Man, Man City, wasn't he? Something like that. And as he rightly says, there was a stage where he was very, very good indeed. <laughs> he was a really good goalkeeper. Yeah. I mean, I remember him when he was young, fearless. Yeah. You know, one of this breed of smaller goalkeepers, yeah. but flying about his goal. Passionate. Absolutely obsessed. Relatively with confident. Yeah, you could say that. He wasn't shy, let's put it that way. <laughs> But like to this day, like I was at the classical the other week, commentating with Simon Hanley, Michael Ladrup by our side, yeah. and as part of our team, the Facebook group was Kev Campbell, um, Tim Lee, and co-commentator as well was was Budgie, and Budgie was at the classical in his in his goalkeeping. <laughs> he gets places that water couldn't get, mate. Honestly, <laughs> what was Budgie doing there? He's commentating <laughs> on the game for Facebook in 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 the Middle East region. He wears his goalie gloves all the time still now. Honestly, mate, nice guy, wrong planet. He is honestly, he's wired to the moon. He is brilliant. He is, I don't think he'd deny that either. He, no, he wouldn't. He'd tell you exactly the same. I mean, he used to come to Leeds and coach us as kids, and he used to turn up, I mean, car boots full of, like, gear and sell all the T-shirts and stuff at the back of his car. The gaffer at the time said, Budgie, you can't do that. You're going to have to stop doing that. He was just... Well, now, for the people that don't believe me, I, when I was best, best man and my best mate, and the uh, stag was in uh, Hexham, so we went to Hexham races, yeah. and we're staying at Slaley Hall. And on the Saturday at Hexham races, I looked at—I wouldn't call it the grandstand, but there's a sort of barn at Hexham. I love Hexham, so I'm not knocking it. There's a sort of grandstand, and up on the roof, there's this sort of figure in a long crocodile Dundee leather coat, <laughs> a mad crocodile Dundee hat, snakeskin cowboy boots, and he's up there, and it's a good height. And he's, why he's gone up there, I don't know. But he's just won the league with Blythe Spartans. I think as player manager. Yeah. And he's threatening to jump off. He's been his players have bet him that he won't jump off the grandstand. Where are you this day? I think he tried to lift his coat out to get some <laughs> wings and air under his wings. Like honestly, that. that doesn't surprise me with him. With some of the stories that we had with him, he was honestly. And he you, was, you get to live but with his, him. His heart is so genuine. Yeah. He's just so passionate about football. You'll read stories about him you know, having fruit thrown around the room to catch fruit and his missus throwing stuff around. And everything you read about him that you think, God, that can't be true, is 100% true. And more. He's as mad as a box of frogs, but he is one of the nicest, most genuine people, passionate people, and he helped me so much in my did career. He, did as did a he kid. change yeah. your uh, perception or ability or An attitude? Attitude. He made me grow up quickly as a man. Um, yeah. as a per- I left home at 16 as an app- to be an apprentice for £37 a week. 
to live in digs. We were the first lot that lived on the training ground at Leeds with these new state-of-the-art training grounds. And then all of a sudden you're training with the first team because you're a goalkeeper. You get there's, Obviously there's a small number, so you get put in with the first team, with the first team goalie coach. And that was a baptism of fire straight away with, with Budgie. Um, yeah, these sessions were sharp, lively, hard. You could not have a day off with him. No. We'd, we'd start an hour, an hour and a half before everybody else in the gym playing head tennis. He'd be sweating like a bull mastiff before he'd even gone out, going up for headers at the head tennis net. He'd be like sticking elbows on the on me, the other kids, and the, the competitiveness and the passion and the will to win. That's something and that's the drive. good to learn, isn't it? Was it was so infectious, so infectious. It was, it's so old school, and it's probably, well, half the stuff that Budgie used to do you wouldn't get away you with in the modern world now. Yeah. But it was just such a good grounding. And like so, you were you were born locally. So when you get that first clutch of talented boys living at the training ground, more or less, that has to feel at that stage already like a dream come true. It was strange. It was odd leaving home at that age. You, where um, was home? Beverly. Beverly. I was born in Beverly. Yeah. Which for those who don't know is there's an old racecourse there too. Yeah, East it's, Yorkshire. It's within you know touching distance oh, it's of where you had to move to. Five minutes an hour to Leeds. Yeah. My dad used to take me three nights a week to train or two nights a week to train it um, at the training ground, and then obviously the, the time came to be whether you're going to be an apprentice or not. We had a successful youth team uh, up from like 14s, 15s, 16s, and then the time came one of the nights at training you, you went in um, for a meeting with your parents. And if you basically, it was a, a yes or a no as to whether you were going to be offered uh, an apprenticeship, an apprenticeship with the promise of a pro or a one-year apprenticeship, because you can only sign a pro when you're 17. Yeah. So it was either a one-year apprenticeship and two-year pro or a two-year apprenticeship and a year pro. And the lads that came out with the tracksuit under their arm were the lads that were in. The lads that came out without weren't. Unfortunately, I was one of the ones that did. Was it an intoxicating feeling? What, did Leeds matter to you as a club? Yeah, um, because I was there for so long. But, but as, you, as you're growing up, I mean, what's your first experience of Ellen Road? Who are the players you remember? What was happening at the club? Before you know that you're a talented footballer, are Leeds United a big deal in your life? I remember, oh, yeah, I remember ball boying because I used to go and watch Hull City as a kid. My granddad used to take me to watch Hull City. And it's at the time, Groomsby Town were in a, a higher league. I think they were in it was Division 1 or 2 at the time. So the weeks that Hull City were away, we'd maybe go and watch Grimsby. Leeds were always the top team, but they were just that little bit too far out the area and we never got to go there. But when I joined the academy there, we could be ball boy for all the home games. So as a kid, you got to watch you know, the likes of Gary McAllister, Gordon Strachan, John Lukic was the goalkeeper at that time. Um, and as it, it progressed and the team got better under Howard Wilkinson, the likes of, of Tony Yeboah came in. And I was ball boy for that game. You know, the, the Liverpool game, the volley. If you watch that game very, very closely, as he hits the volley, there's some spotty little adolescent kid in a very, very pastel blue top with great big yellow lapels by the side of the goal who does that. Having shouted, shoot! And that's me. <laughs> and the irony is, it's David James that was in goal who I went on to take his England place and I was sat ball boying behind the goal for that Tony Boa goal. So I suppose I should really ask, um, seriously, when you make your um, league debut yeah. against Chelsea, yeah. who was man of the match? Uh, Let's not mess about here. <laughs> Who carried the champagne away at the end? Was it of me? Was it? I think we both know it was. <laughs> you were ready, is what I would say, because Nigel's ribs weren't right. Yeah, it's Chelsea, a decent Chelsea side, yeah. a good one. You made a lovely save from Loudrop, if I remember rightly. But your man in the match. To, to to what extent does the formation that you've had mixed with your ability help you 
dominate a situation where I think you're 18 or 19, maybe 18, 18 I can't remember. Yeah, 18. Well, maybe just, yeah. And you're, you're up against a right good side and you win man of the match and you treat it as if, you know, I remember you saying you were nervous, mm. but you treat it as if you were a, a, a long-time pro. The formation adds as much to that occasion, I guess, as the ability Well, does. I've been training with the first team a while. I've been in and around the first team. And as you say, Nigel did his ribs, but at that time I was third-choice third goalkeeper. Mark Beanie was number two. And he was obviously not match sharp because he's not played because if Nigel's fit he plays and it'd been a long run of games for him so I think midweek midweek that week there was a reserve game and Mark being said you know what, I'll play and that I'll get myself right or you know just get myself ready for the weekend and then he ruptured his Achilles midweek and then all of a sudden from me thinking great I'm going to be sat on the bench yeah. watching the first team yeah. Chelsea this is a great experience for me all of a sudden it becomes real that there's a potentially they're going to be playing um, I think they, they tried to get a, a goalkeeper in an emergency loan because I was so young at that time um, because of what had happened to the two goalkeepers but it just got to the end of the week and it was a case of look you're going to be playing so it was great I was uh, very nervous apprehensively looking forward to it uh, as you say against a very very good Chelsea side difficult day as well I remember it, it was sunny it was windy it was raining it was one of them days where you got all the seasons in one day I always remember the first five or ten minutes the, it was a corner might have made a save or it had gone wide or something. Went to get the ball. Dennis Wise comes running in, picks the ball up, and he goes, I'm swinging this right in on top of your head, and you're going to get smashed. So you're thinking straight away, boy, here we go. This is great. Loved it. Loved <laughs> That's it. definitely what you thought oh, first thing. Yeah, loved it. Because not every reacts to Dennis or words like that. But that that's way. a challenge. That's a challenge thrown down to you. So straight away, you're like, come on then. Bring it's it on. Yeah, I'll get this one. This is mine. Or but you have to be careful not to be sucked in to make bad decisions. Yeah. Because it's very, very good gamesmanship and good good mind games from him because obviously as a youngster he thinks right, gonna draw him out now or make him do something that he wouldn't want to do. There'd been a tumult because the focus was on you coming in there. Yeah. And you get a handful of games well in advance of, of your breakthrough. But what what was the club like then? Because George had arrived yeah. and made Leeds really competitive in my view. Helped nick the title off Arsenal with a big, big result at the end of the season. And I suppose George, Gunnar George um, in Leeds, I think initially might not have been all that welcome, but he'd made the side really powerful, I thought. Yeah. Full of good talent as well. But there'd been a tumult all season about whether he was leaving or going, whether Martin O'Neill was coming in. That's right, yeah, Martin O'Neill was touted for a long time. And David O'Leary was the choice eventually of Peter Ridsdale. What was that, as an observer, what was that like? You don't really forge an opinion as a youngster because you're kind of carried away with what's you know around you. You just you're happy to be a part of it. You don't. George Graham was uh, a figure, somebody like Paul Hart, ruled with respect, aura, and you, he was a dominant figure, if you like, the, the aggressor, not an aggressor, but somebody who ruled with a very strong opinion. And you just, as a youngster, you, you have to respect that, and you don't really forge them. You're just happy to be part of the squad, training every day. Um, and me at that age being given my opportunity being given my, my chance in the first team whether it was for two games five games ten games whatever it was it was just it was a ride that I was just happy to be on but it was one of them at that age you know it's coming to an end so you're not disappointed for for when you come out of the team it was kind of a done that now that was it was kind of a, a relief when you came out assimilate start build I've, up again I've done that now I've, yeah. I've, I've proved I can do that now I'm still very, very young, but I've been in, I've done it, I've proved I can do it, which flipping forward was different the second time I went in because I got 20-odd games and I got pulled out and then I saw my arse spat my dummy out and wanted to leave because you think you can do it over a, a longer period of time. Um, but at that time, the club, as you say, it was going through 
manage, managerial transition. As I say, as a youngster, you, you don't really get involved with that. Paint me some pictures then, because we've lost some of these characters a wee bit of light. So, for example, you wouldn't have dealt with him often, but Peter Ridsdale, yeah. did you deal with him? Yeah. What was he like? Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. I mean, he's a man who followed his dream. Absolutely followed his dream. A passionate Leeds United fan. There's, you know, you talk about the gross mismanagement, the overspending. He followed his dream. He financed that club to almost the, the point of ultimate glory, the European title, which he, which he wanted to, to achieve. Um, he was always on side for the players. He, he'd travel away with us. And he was a man who was just very, very passionate about his football club, about his managers, about his players. And we'd, we'd have European nights, we'd have away trips. We'd, we'd go, we'd get a result in Europe. The manager will say, right, we'll have dinner together, we'll have a couple of glasses of wine in the bar together tonight, knock it on the head at midnight bed, we'll have a couple of glasses of wine, a bit of a sing-song. And he was there, he was with us, and he was part of the group. I've got a lot of respect for the man. You know, there's questions over whether it was his fault, the way that the club was grossed in mismanagement, whether he was wrongly advised or however that came about. Mm. But at the time and the bubble that you're in, it was one hell of a bandwagon to be on. That's interesting that you describe it, that bubble you're in, because... A lot of clubs or a lot of groups of players wouldn't have found time for the money man being in there. They, it would have been hard for a non-football person to have been accepted in. Yeah. To be honest with you, in a lot of places, he'd have been laughed at behind his back about having, yeah. oh, he wants to be one. Of, and and footballers was, are a tight clan. It was a, but it was a tight clan, but we were a wider clan because they, they, we, they would travel together. with like When we went to Europe, you know, the European nights that we experienced in the Champions League, We'd travel together on a plane. He'd, he'd charter a plane for us, but there'd be the manager, the chairman, the staff, uh, the press. Some of the the press would come with us. Then there'd be the directors, and then there'd be like a corporate trip. Leeds United had a travel company at that time. Leeds United travel. My dad and Jonathan Woodgate's dad travelled Europe in the best style that they've ever been in. They went to every game. My dad and Woody's dad never missed a game. They'll tell you the nights in, in Rome at the San Siro, different places. And that was all thanks to Ridsdale's vision and what he wanted to do for the club. And it was one big family and it was a big extended family. And it wasn't one of these teams or clubs that the players were inaccessible. Mm. The players were always accessible. We didn't get on a private jet just for the players. There'd be a corporate trip with us behind us as well. That matters. All right, might as well. We, we may as well go through a different channel at the airport or we, we don't go this, the same way or we get off the plane and we get on a bus and go to the hotel. There's levels of privacy and security that a team need. But it was one big Leeds United family at that time. And as I say, it was a bandwagon that was phenomenal to be on. And at the t you didn't realise what was going on. Nobody at that time, from a player's point of view, were thinking about finances, were thinking about money, thinking how the hell is the club affording to do this or why are you doing this? I mean, you were on great bonuses for Champions League. You were on bonuses per point in the Champions League. Wages were good. Everybody was happy. There was no kind of foresight three years down the line. Mm. Well, what if this hits the buffers? What if this comes off the rails? No. There's not even, it, it's, it's not your job for any, it's, but no. under any stretch of the imagination. <laughs> Looking back, I don't know if it was anybody's job. I don't know if anybody had done that. <laughs> do you know what I mean? But saying about Peter Ridsdale, and I genuinely think he was uh, a businessman, a mm. chairman, mm. but uh, at heart, a real supporter who followed his dream and lived his dream to almost an inch of making it. European Cup semi-final. Yeah, Valencia. As every reveller who's ever had a big night says when the consequences come on the next day, it was a hell of a ride. Yeah. And again, paint a little picture, if you will. Pick somebody, because I noticed that as you're coming in at first, Lucas Redebi is around. Yeah. 
people talk about him as an exceptional character. I have to ask you about the Haaland Keane feud starts just before you debut. It starts around about the time that you're winning the Youth Cup against Crystal Palace. But you get to know Alfing Haaland, who has this notorious feud with Keane, whose boy now already yeah. is just about the number one exciting oh, superstar in, striking prospect in the world. Yeah. I don't know about which of them, but, but tell us about some of the characters there. The people who stand out for you, the, the 18, 19, 20-year-old Paul Robinson who's like, this geezer's different. Lucas was different. As you, you, you pointed out, Lucas, you, you could call him the chief. He was so laid back he could fall over. Nothing phased him. His ability to read a game. He's, he played with so many injuries. His knees were hanging off. He's... You know, his ankles, he was struggling every week, but to play at the level that he did and the ability that he had. And he was always one, you know, there was, at that time, it was a very jovial dressing room and there was a definite pecking order. And as a youngster, you come in and, you know, you make the teas back in them days, you make the teas when you get on the team bus on the way home, you get everybody's dinner on the way home, you clean the bus after the, on the way home. Even as a first team player? If you just start, you're just coming into the first team, if you're the youngest on the bus, mate, you're making cups of tea and getting the dinner in. <laughs> and, and that's how it was. But Lucas would be one of these that, no, 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 you're all right, I'll get it, don't worry. Or he'd be at the back giving you a hand. Do you know, he was nothing, there was no ego, no side to him or anything. He'd like, Chief, do you want a brew? He said, oh, I'll come and do it, that kind of thing. He was, he was just a genuinely nice man. He wasn't a stereotypical footballer, but his, his ability on the pitch now, looking back, was, was phenomenal. There was big characters in that team. I mean, the Gary Kelly is a huge, huge character. Um, one of my good friends, even now, Ian Hart, left back. The, the quality that we had in that team. Smashing you the ball. Um, big for Dukes up front, Harry Kuehl, Lee Bowyer. Um, there, there was a lot of talent, but a lot of characters in that team. And then you brought the likes of Rio Ferdinand into that later on, um, when, you know, when the club was getting stronger. The, the dressing room was, it was a tough school, Jason Wilcox as well. Very, very big character. There was a lot of big characters fighting for status, and it was a very, very tough school to come into. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. 
we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Spurs. There was an opportunity. I can tell you the story about Spurs. They tried to sign me in January, in the in the window when Leeds were really struggling at the time. The fire sale was gone on. Yeah. Me and Alan Smith were the kind of the last two uh, that were there because they desperately needed the money. And we were we were the last two of the the old guard, if you like. Once all the loans had come in and the club had really fallen apart, you had players there who genuinely didn't want to fight for the cause. That mm. were there. Agents had brought certain players in. And it was a horrible place to be. You'd come in training one day and you wouldn't know who was going to be there, who was going to be sacked. And it was at, it was at the stage where they were sacking backroom staff, laundry ladies, kit men, people like that, who were Horrendous. on half of what yeah. anyone else was on, on, people on a week. People who had been part of your daily fabric, yeah. morning, how's the, it going? The, the actual heart and soul of the club people were getting sacked, which was, it was a terrible thing to see because you look at it and you, you see players there on tens of thousands a week that they can't get rid of yet they'll sack somebody who's on 10 or 15 grand a year, who's part of the club and it's their livelihood. There's just, when football clubs cut, cut costs and cut corners like that to save money, you just don't see the logic on it, on no. the backroom staff, the important no. people, who earn a fraction a year of what the big stars do every week, and they've got them sat there doing nothing, which still to this day frustrates me. Um, and you know, it's, it, it's difficult when you, when you look back at it, but Spurs came in for me in January, the year before that, I'd almost signed for Aston Villa. Mm. David O'Leary was at Aston Villa and wanted to take me to Aston Villa. Um, and it was just the wrong time for me. I just didn't want to go. Leeds, my team, I'd been there since I was 13. Mm. We'd stayed up the year before. We were in the Premiership again for another year. Didn't really fancy living in Birmingham at that stage of my life, at that age. And it just didn't appeal to me. Um, it had nothing to do with finance or money or anything like that. Mm. My club, Leeds, was still in the Premier League. And... I wanted to play there again. I think with blinkers on, you think, well, this can't go on for much longer. Yeah. The, the bad, you know, the bad times. You're thinking, look, we've stayed up. Everything's going to be all right. Do you know what? It's not for me. I'd rather have another year at Leeds in the Premiership than Aston Villa in the Premiership. So, in hindsight, I stayed and ended up moving to Tottenham. Whether it was the right thing or not to do, my time at Tottenham worked out. So it probably was. I, I enjoyed my time at Leeds. They came for me in January. Went down to Spurs. Uh, did the medical. Contract was agreed. Everything was done. And at the, the 11th hour, they were going to loan me back to Leeds, like Spurs quite often do. But because of the problems at Leeds, and it was a transfer window and everything else, they'd taken too many players on loan. So they couldn't sell me and loan me back. Mm -hmm. So all of a sudden, there became a real problem because they didn't have a goalkeeper. And Spurs wanted to sign me, but wanted, I could loan me back, and all the deal collapsed. So I shook hands with Daniel Levy in January on a, a, a man's word, on an honour, and he said, look, if Leeds United go down or whatever the situation is, we'll revisit the situation in the summer. We'll come back for you in the summer. And true to his word, we, we went down. And within a week or so, first on, first on the phone, the deal's, the deal's on. We're going to try and do the deal. We still want you kind of thing, which was... That's an unusual a, part of football, huge, the honour. A huge respect for, for Daniel Levy and the way that he, he conducted business that yeah. way. And John Alexander, who was the club secretary at that time, 
and had a great relationship with the both of them. And it was because they could see it was a difficult time for me. I was only 20, 23, 24, I think. And it was going to be a big move for me, moving down from Yorkshire. Uh, at 23 I was, because I was at Leeds from 13 to 23. I was there 10 mm-hmm. years. And it was going to be a big, big move for me. And, and they could see that. And with it all falling down and collapsing around me, it was, it was strange. And then to come back, to, I knew I was going back to Leeds, but to have the Tottenham thing taken away completely, it was, it was odd. Why did you trust? I, I had no other option. I, I was going back. The, the contract was done. The contract was agreed. It was all mm-hmm. there. Obviously, nothing was signed because you couldn't. You see my point that in football, that's not a normal way to proceed. And in football, although we both adore yeah. the sport, in the fringes of the industry, it's a pretty hard, ruthless, sometimes ugly. Well, listen, I, I shook hands with Daniel Levy and John Alexander, not knowing whether I'd ever see him again. That's, that's the truth of the matter. I could have gone to Leeds, we gone back to Leeds, we could have stayed up and I could have ended up staying at Leeds another year or Spurs might have watched me between then and the end of the season and gone, not quite what we thought he was in, you know. Let's, let's just forget that, it's like delete, erase, don't ever speak to him again type thing. But it was a difficult end to the season. I shipped a bag full of goals because we were poor at the time and we mm. were getting relegated. But I was still playing well, I still played, you know, and there was obviously a potential there at that age that they could see. Mm-hmm. Um, and as I say, it's true to their word as it was, it was a very, very quick deal. It was done very quickly because the contract was already done from the January and it was a case of dotting the I's and crossing the T's and, and, and the move was done. You went there a really... Well, what, Spurs as an experience for you overall was good. A trophy. Yeah. Lots of England exposure. Yeah. You develop as a goalkeeper. But, but overall, it was also quite a bumpy ride. Yeah. With the, well, towards the end, I love my time at Spurs. I think I played some of my best football at Spurs. And they love you. The Spurs fans still yeah, adore you. Yeah. Instantly got a fantastic rapport with the Spurs fans. Hit it off straight away. I just think they could see my, my will to win. I, I wasn't a Spurs fan as a kid. I, I'm a Spurs fan now as well as a Leeds fan. I just loved my time there. There was just a, an instant rapport there. An understanding between the two. And yeah, it was, it, was, it was strange because I was accepted very, very quickly. But I think my performances helped as well. Um, I was fairly, fairly consistent in my first couple of years there and I think they, they could just see my passion and will to win it wasn't a case that I was just there to play for their club I wanted to do everything that I could to make their club successful What did the first couple of years at Spurs teach you? What did you learn? I thought it was great, it was a big step up for me it was going to, to a, a top half Premier League club and one traditionally that you've seen that's got a huge history of winning trophies players, top quality players going to London, massive stadium and it was a real step up. I used to love going there as an away, away team player, the White Hart Lane. What a fantastic stadium. And it was just, it was, it was a ride. And I was, I was loving being on the ride. And with that came the England call-up, been part of the England set-up. And it was that time at Spurs, looking at it now, looking back at it, was probably the foundations, the real first push to be where they are now. Mm-hmm. From when Martin Yol took over, I think I signed for, well, I say I signed, I didn't, when I signed, there wasn't a manager. I signed for David Pleat, whom I still talk to today. I've got so massive I. respect for. He knows football inside what out, football loves it. Brain. Anything you want to know about football, speak to Pleat. I saw him last week. What a genuinely top, top football bloke. Loves his Spurs. He was director of football at Spurs, and Daniel's still got him involved now. He's still there every week. I think Deli Ali's signing was pushed through by Pleat. That's worked out quite nicely. Pleat signed so many players. So I signed for Pleaty. It's funny, the people we've got in common that we really like and respect, it's a, it's a nice feeling to be here in that. Yeah. But from Budgie to Pleat, that's, that's a big jump. Ca- yeah, two very <laughs> different characters, very different characters. But no, Pleaty was director of football 
completely obviously sold with the club. Look, this is what we're going to do. This is the vision. We're going to move things forward now. Change the manager. Uh, Jacques Santini's coming in. Yeah. French manager. Yeah. French national manager came in. Great hope and expectation. But when I signed for Spurs, there was no manager. I signed for Pleti and Daniel Levy. We've got, I've got, I want to lump two together, Paul, here, because one of our socios is Juan Fernandez. And Juan writes into us, as a goalkeeper, it's inevitable that when you make a mistake, it comes at a higher cost than any other player on the pitch. What prepares, prepares you for those moments and what generally helps you bounce back? And I want to tie that to, to talking about your cup final that you win. It's the last trophy. Yeah. And, and you're at the heart of it. But Juan makes a good point because it, it's literally inevitable for every goalkeeper, as it is with every player, that there'll be errors. But there's an unfair attention. There's an unfair um, premium, negative premium, for a goalkeeper if, if a mistake or even something that's perceived to be a mistake. So how do you cope? How do you prepare? How do you get through it? Experience is the only thing that you can do it. I think as a youngster, and I think at the, you know, when you're a youngster, you don't expect that you're going to make that many mistakes. You don't go out to make mistakes. The way I look at it now, with the, the hindsight that I've got and the experience I've got, if you were passing on advice to goalkeepers, mentality, you have to have a golfer's mentality. That's the only way you can mm. look at it. You, you hit a bad shot, and it's awful, and it's terrible, it's in the water. There's no point throwing your clubs about, snapping your clubs in half, cursing and swearing, oh, because you've got to do that. Wrong. Yeah, yeah, you and me both, <laughs> because you've got to play that shot again. You look at the top-class golfers in the world, they may miss a putt from six foot that they should have made, they won't do it again on the next shot, because they know that their next shot is more important than the one that's just gone. And as a goalkeeper, you make a mistake, unfortunately that's going to happen. You have to forget that. That's gone. Like anything in life, you cannot change what's just gone. But that's a process. You can say that intellectually. Yeah. And I'm convinced. But, but you when can't. you're working on your own head... And you're on the pitch, and the worst thing you do as a goalkeeper, you go chasing the game. You go looking for something to do. So if you let one through your hands and it's a goal, you'll come for a cross that you shouldn't come for because you think oh, you want to atone for your mistake. You'll come out because you want to atone for your mistake. The hard is the golfer's mentality. It's keeping a balanced, level head, making the right decisions and continually doing the correct things because you cannot change that. I mean, the biggest mistake, well, not mistake, the thing that happened to me in my career, the Croatia game, the Gary Neville back pass. I in no way expected the backlash from that, what no. came from it, from the press and everything else. I remember phoning the missus after the game because um, we, we, we used to fly on planes back from Manchester and London mm -hmm. uh, because of the northern players Split that sort of play divide. Yeah. So one... One time the, the plane had drop off in London first, then it would refuel and go back to Manchester. And we had an important game at the weekend. So I think Spurs and Chelsea, I think it or maybe Arsenal at the time, clubbed together, got us a plane and put us on a little private plane back. I remember getting on the plane phone and my missus before we took off. She was like really off and quiet. I'm like, is everything all right? She went, you don't realise how big this is going to be, do you? I went, well, pass me the ball back. It went over my foot. What can I do? I said, I didn't mean to do it. She went, no, 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 you're going to get a lot from this. And I wasn't prepared for what was to follow, you know, in, in the, the coming weeks. Um, and that was hard. That, was, that really knocked me for probably 18 months, two years in total, if you look at it, confidence-wise, because everywhere you go, you're reminded of it. You know, the ball comes back to you on a back pass. I think my first one was Aston Villa away the first game. Every time it comes back, ooh, you go back and pick the ball up from behind the goal, there's somebody reminding you of it. And every question that you face in an interview is related to that and... It's constantly on your mind as a player. You have to be so mentally strong to recover from a, a mistake like mm -hmm. that. Now I could cope with it a hell of a lot better than I probably did then. But it was a fluke. You know, yeah, it was but literally, I'd almost say, unless you were an Olympic gymnast, it's beyond your control. 
There's but, nothing you can do. But still, people will jump on it as a mistake. I mean, it's, a, it's, it's it was the turf. It's hit the turf and got over my foot. It was Gary Neville's fault anyway. He should have passed it wide of the goal. We, we I mean, know when, that. You, when you're a kid, you're taught to pass it wide of the goal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you can sit here and laugh about it now and in no. hindsight. But it's you're so caught up in it at the time and the, the, the pressures and the stress that come with being... England's number one and at that time it had been plain sailing for me Yeah, my career had been, apart from getting relegated with Leeds but I was never kind of sighted in that because I was loyal Yeah, played well every week mm. tried my hardest never ever really made a, a high profile error until that point but the, that, it, we, I think we're agreeing that that's not an error well no it's not but it, 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 it was perceived as an error there, and, there's and, my and point. the stuff that came with it that came crashing down on me afterwards I wasn't ready for mm. In my opinion, wasn't that like a mob mentality? I thought it was ugly because it gained unnecessary momentum. Yeah. Similarly, and not identically, but similarly, in my point of view, to I think it was Sonetian in '98. I was there reporting on Simeone kicking Beckham, the referee yeah. getting it wrong about maybe you give Beckham a yellow card, you don't send him off. But yeah. if he's going off, Simeone automatic, you know, the circular before yeah. the World Cup. Red card for tackles, remind you get, and the mob mentality went after him when he was third in line there because Simeone was the aggressor, should have been red carded. The referee got it wrong, but it was Beckham that, and that too, just like the Croatia away game, felt like a mob mentality yeah. to me. And it did, and it lasted for, for so long for me, and it lasted a long time, and it was every week, and it was you're always related back to that point, and it was hard, a really tough point in my career for me. It affected my performances. And then back at Tottenham, one um, day Ramos then came in, who immediately when he came in, it was a similar kind of thing to Pep Guardiola and Joe Hart. He had perceived ideas of me, didn't like me as a goalkeeper for whatever reason, didn't like the way I was playing. And if he could have replaced me, if he had a, a, a top number two, he would have done it. He kept putting me in and out of the team with Radic Cherny. Cherny. Radic Cherny came in and out of the, the team. But whenever there was a big game like the cup final or a big league game, he put me back in. And my confidence at that point was you can't down, it was on the floor. Yeah, 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 I, yeah. I remember winning the, the, the cup at Spurs and that was probably, well, it was without doubt the highest point in my career, a club career, mm. but my confidence was probably the lowest that it's been for a long, long time um, with the way that I'd been in and out of the team and the, the previous 18 months, two years leading up to that. So was that an enjoyable day? <laughs> or is it blemished? Yeah, it's, it's, it's blemished. It's looking back on it, it's the, one of the best moments of my career because I used to dream of climbing the stairs at Wembley as a kid. Old cliche. Um, but my son was born in February that year. He was in hospital with bronchiolitis attached to wires and I'd had a tough two years. Mm. So instead of all the party afterwards, we finished at Wembley and I went straight to the hospital. So it was kind of a, a double-edged sword, if you like, a really high point in my career. But you look back with the memories, the, the two years that had led up to that, and then I had my son, who was what was he? Final was February, wasn't it? February 2008. He was born January the 14th, and the final was February, and he was in hospital at what six weeks old, wired up to a machine, suffering with bronchiolitis. So there's, there's other things that were going on at the time, and you can't take that out of your head, no matter how big the game is. I always, there. but I was always able to do that. The, 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 the pitch was kind of my little safe haven. Everything else that was going on in your life and everything that was going on around, as soon as you cross that white line, I found that. 45 minutes first half able to switch off going to the dressing room at half time I'd want to check my phone see, what, see what's going on I'd go in at half time and get my phone go to the toilet pretend you're on the toilet or whatever check the phone see how they are a little text or whatever else go back over the white line again be able to play and then done 
But without intruding too much in your family, that little boy who was hooked up to machines then, how's his ATR dash at the moment? Yeah, he's doing all right now. <laughs> uh, he's not too bad. He's, uh, he's 12. Uh, he's in the academy at Leeds. And he's, uh, he's in the Yorkshire Academy for cricket. Life can be sweet so, sometimes. Uh, he was born with talipes as well, uh, club feet, so we didn't even know he was going to walk at the time. So it was a very, very tough time in my personal life and career. But, so to win that trophy at that time was a real high for me. And, and for him too, it's a memory of this guy who'll one day be a, a Yorkshire all-rounder. Probably handier with a ball, but knocking a few yeah, around. Got too. some great pictures of him with tubes up his nose, wide to a machine in a tiny Spurs kit and the cup winner's medal around his neck. That ain't a bad image. Yeah, it's, it's good little pictures. This has been everything that I hoped it would be and more. I hope we haven't bored you. Absolutely it's not. It's been thrilling for us. I've got so much more to give you at the end of the few hours if you want. <laughs> uh, be really careful with me when you say that. We'll do part two. I'll come to you next time. Part two in Barcelona. Deal. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.